Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Richard the Lionheart. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Welcome to another X Factor reviewing all the kings and queens from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth II. And this week, Richard the Lionheart. Probably one of the most uh, famous of our kings mm. and queens mm. that we'll be studying. Yeah. he's. Um, I'm predicting a good one. We've had a, good, a run of some good ones recently. Mm. Some good good Rexy kings. And he's one of the few kings who's known, like Alfred, by his sobriquet. Oh, yeah. Which is pretty yeah. cool sobriquet. Obviously, Richard is Richard I, um, as well as being the Lionheart. Others have tried, haven't they? Edward I with Longshanks, but it didn't really... Yeah, it's not very no. cool, mate. <laughs> Longshanks. Long <laughs> yeah. There's no other... Edward the Lanky. Yeah. Black Prince. Mm, but not a king, king yeah. tragically. All ahead of us, of it's course. It's all in the name, that one. Yeah. Um, as ever, please do get in touch with us and let us know what you think, either of this episode or any other episode. Uh, email rexactorpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, at uh, rexactorpod, or you can leave a comment on the site. Hmm. So... We, so, yeah. Uh, old fellow's dead. Who's this chap? Yeah, so we'd had uh, Henry II last time, a long and successful reign in a number of fields. Um, his Angevin Empire, which was England and the left stroke west <laughs> yeah. of France, largely intact. However, he'd faced numerous rebellions from his sons, not least uh, Richard himself. And right at the end of Henry's reign in 1189, Richard had joined up with Philip of France and uh, they rebelled against Henry forced him to concede some of his territories in France, so it ended on a bit of a sour note for Henry, who then died. Knowing that John had turned against him as well. John, his favourite son, uh, but younger son, had also done it. So, 1189, uh, Richard becomes king. So, he was born in 1157, son, as you said, of Henry II and Eleanor of Aquitaine, who Mm. is, of course, still alive. She's still going strong, and he was her favourite son, so she was always supporting him and he, her. And he's about 32 years old when he becomes king, so he's pretty much peak of his physical powers at this point. Right, yeah. And he's the 21st great-grand-uncle of Elizabeth II. Okay. Almost down to the teens. Yeah, that's, that's close. Um, he's said to be very tall for, for, for the period, so about six foot tall. And he'd be quite a big man, so he'd quite big shoulders, uh, red-gold hair, his father's sort of steely grey eyes, which said to be quite scary when he was cross. Uh, but he was also sort of a number of contradictions, both in his person and in his appearance. So he was also a little bit prone to being chubby, a bit overweight. That's like, uh, yeah, Henry II. Like Henry II, yeah. yeah, but obviously lots of exercise. For mm-hmm. Henry, it was hunting and moving about. For Richard, it's fighting. Um, frequently uh, sick, twice suffered mental breakdown. Really? Yeah, and a sort of and a period of self-loathing. And he also apparently had suffered from a continual shaking in his hands after he'd had a fever, which he couldn't get rid of. Do they, is there any modern medical? I'm uh, not sure but... why that was exactly, but it didn't oh. stop him. So Gerald of Wales, the contemporary, said, while thus almost continually trembling, he remained intrepid in his determination to make the whole world tremble before him. Mm, nice. So, uh, his path to the throne, in his early years, he'd grown up um, at Eleanor's of Aquitaine's court in sort of Poitiers. So he was born in England but lived in France, um, educated in Latin, in French, and chivalry and warfare. That, yeah, no, that's probably another reason why the Victorians liked him, is starting to get mm. the age of chivalry. Absolutely. Crusading. Very much period of chivalry. That's criticism, though, isn't it? His old Frenchness. 
It is, yes, we'll come to that. Subjectivity, he is largely yeah. French mm. rather than uh, English. He'd taken part in rebellions uh, in 1173 against Henry, which had failed, but Richard only about 15, 16 at the time, so he sort of impressed people by the fact that he was taking charge of... 15? Yeah. 15, Blimey, yeah. So he's taking charge of troops already and showing his prowess. So uh, Henry sort of gave him governance over uh, Aquitaine, yeah. which was quite an unruly place, lots of rebellions going on. Um, and he brought that to heel quite impressively. So he had very good reputation mm. as a young prince for yeah. being a soldier and a general as well. Quite, yeah, well. So then, as I said, that final rebellion, he'd allied with uh, Philip of France uh, against Henry, and then Henry died, Richard becomes king. Mm. Now, Richard's in France at the time, and if we also recall, Henry had fallen out with Eleanor of Aquitaine and actually imprisoned her. Uh, in yeah. the early 1170s. So the first thing Richard does is issue a proclamation for Eleanor to be released. Now, she's about 67 at this point, so you might have thought that she'd go off to a nun and live out happy yeah, retirement. Yeah. No, no, job to be done. She went on a ceremonial tour all along, all across England, winning support for Richard to make sure that when he came to be in England that the succession would be assured there wouldn't be any issues of someone stealing his throne but there was no there was no one really other than his brother other than in, John no. in the wings right yeah. but okay. as we've seen before the younger brothers of the Normans had often yeah. snuck in when the other one was away so she made sure uh, that Richard was there so by the time he comes back everything's secure and mm. here's his coronation however his instant uh, desire is to leave the country because in 1187, uh, the great um, Arab leader Saladin, or Saladin, 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 Saladin I think, Saladin. yeah, because he's not French, I suppose, uh, had conquered Jerusalem. Do you remember the first crusades um, under Robert, Duke of Normandy, the brother of Henry and uh, William Rufus? He and others had captured Jerusalem for the Christians, the Crusaders. Saladin has now taken it back for the Muslims. So 1187, Richard was one of the first. Um, Christian rulers to take the cross i.e. off the Knights Templar i.e. saying he was going to go on crusade get Jerusalem back yeah. so the only reason really that he hadn't gone early was because he wanted to secure his succession for fear that if he was away the throne would end up going to John Clever. so yeah. that was sorted now he's king, he's getting ready to go oh, so he ro- raises lots and lots of money, lots of taxation from people to get enough money to fund uh, a huge campaign to Jerusalem. Unpopular. Indeed. Organises the regency, i.e. who's going to be in charge of everything when he's away. And then after just four months, in 1190, he departs. Right. Off he goes on crusades. Yeah, I've seen the film. He leaves that little lion in charge with his little snake friend. Little lion with his... Oh, I see from the... Uh, yes. It's quality. That's, <laughs> where, that's where I like to think I get most of my history. Disney, Disney Robin Hood. It's a brilliant film. It is brilliant, yes. So, this is the third crusade, and it's probably the most um, famous of the crusades, because mm. you've got Richard the Lionheart against Saladin. These are the two big And his buddy, buddy Philip. Period. And his buddy Philip of France, also uh, Duke Leopold of Austria, is another leader, a bit smaller chap, but he'll come to play an important role. And Saladin not only taken Jerusalem, but he'd taken a lot of the Christian territories in the Holy Land, mm. so sort of around Egypt and... Syria, all these sorts of countries now. So, big task for Richard and co. to strive to get back. But that's what they do, so they go off. Off they go. Um, it's a long trip round, so they sort of go down Italy, Sicily site. There's sort of long way route they have to go yeah, around. Sea route. So the first place he goes off to is Sicily, where he finds that his sister Joan 
who had been queen in Sicily, but her husband had recently died, had been held captive and put in prison while the new person took over. He had a sister. He did. He had sisters. Yeah. Um, lots of tensions when Richard arrived outside the city of Messina, and then a bit of fighting broke out between his troops and the locals. Uh, so Richard gets in there, takes the city by storm, frees his sister. It's looking good. He's looking good. However, he then falls out quite dramatically with Philip of France because he had for long been betrothed to Philip's sister, Alice, um, and probably since, I think, the 1160s. But he was a bit reluctant to marry her because it was suspected quite strongly that Henry II had taken her as his mistress. His dad? Yeah. So he wasn't very keen to have his dad's mistress as his wife. Yeah, we've seen loads of that in the past, but yeah, quite right, putting his foot down. Yeah. And also, politically, there was a better match-up, because Eleanor of Aquitaine turns up in Sicily at this point, having trekked all the way across herself, with an alternative bride, whose name I'm not sure how to pronounce, Berengia, Berengia, Berengia um, of Nevers, who was a useful ally for sort of southern... Is that Spain? France. Yeah, I think Spain, yeah. So southern France, that meant would be secure. Yeah, I see, yeah. And so he decides he's going to marry her instead, which irritates Philip, and they yeah. sort of part company at that point. Still on crusade, but not really getting on quite so well. However, when they're going off again by ship, the ship with Berengia and his sister Joan gets captured by the Greek ruler of Cyprus, and he holds them in prison again. He's island hopping. Island hopping, indeed. Yeah. And so Richard, as you'd expect, conquers the whole island and rescues them. That's brilliant. So he's now conquered Cyprus... Um, he wasn't intending to do it, it's only because of this intervention. Yeah, just mopping it up. Mopping it up, but what that means is he's now got a really important stopping point in terms of the Crusades and the supply lines yeah. between Europe and launch uh, offensives and, right and close there. At least, exactly. So, having done a bit of fighting in southern Europe, he then goes on to the Crusades proper. Uh, so, 1191, he comes to the city of Acre, spelled as in a, an Acre, A C R A. Uh, the city had been under siege from the Crusaders since about 1189. And what then, year is this, sorry? Um, we're in 1191 right, okay, yeah. Obviously it's taking him a long time to move his, yeah. his troops around. Since 1189, other Crusaders had been besieging the city. But then Saladin had turned up, and now he was besieging them, besieging the city. So it's all turned into a bit of a stalemate. But Richard turns up, increases the intensity of the siege, and all his sort of... He besieges the besiegers besieging. Yeah. All his proper um, siege warfare techniques and mastery that he's got. And finally, after two years, the city falls, so he captures the city of Acre. So, a big victory. However, he has another falling out um, with his allies. He's still there with Philip, but Philip then goes off back to France at this point. But after the victory, Richard's flag, Philip's flag, and the flag of Leopold of Austria were raised. And when flags are raised in taken cities, it's kind of a claim to the prizes, yeah. the money, the booty. However, Richard and Philip had originally agreed to share the spoils between themselves, so they didn't really think that Leopold was worthy to actually put his flag and stake a claim. So Richard, quite impetuously, ordered that his flag would be torn down and uh, stamped, trampled underfoot. Ooh, that's not going to rub well, isn't it? Irritated yeah. Leopold somewhat, so yeah. he's made a bit of an enemy there. A couple of enemies, in fact. Mm. But he carries on, um, makes his way to Jaffa. I don't know if that's related to the popular biscuit, Um, harassed on the route by uh, Saladin's troops, but he wins a victory over them at Arsouf. So he's making lots of progress, um, pushing them back, gaining territories, but he isn't able to get to Jerusalem. He makes it to a place called Beit Nuba, which is about 12 miles away, 
But the problem is that he's got to be able to have a supply line strong enough that he cannot just take the city but maintain it. Mm. And he knows that he just doesn't have the resources in place to be able to do it. So in 1192, uh, the Treaty of Ramla, they come to an accord with Richard and Saladin whereby Muslims keep control of Jerusalem but Christian pilgrims are allowed to go there and have access. Which actually was what it was like before the Crusades. Yeah. Which is what to modernise seems probably fair enough. But for Richard, pretty disappointing. He got apparently, even when he was leaving, he actually had sight of it. And he said he'd sell London. Ah, slightly. uh, That was earlier when he was thinking of how he could Ah. finance. But no, he saw it and then he looked away thinking he didn't want to see what he couldn't get hold of. Hmm. So he just saw the spires of the city and the sunlight. Oh, oh well, that's detracting his points away. Points away, he doesn't manage it. So, on his way, he comes back. Unfortunately, because he's made quite a bit of a bit of enemies with his friends in Europe, mm. he has to be quite careful going back, and he has problems with his ship. So he's going across by land, and he ends up having to try and go by disguise. But he gets captured, and is then imprisoned and handed over to Leopold of Austria the person that he had insulted. Well, he was in disguise? He was trying to get across and his army? relatively enemy territory oh, in disguise. Just... Yeah, not all of them, obviously. Oh, <laughs> sort of yeah, fancy dress people. party, yeah. <laughs> Travelling justice. <laughs> but no, him and his uh, sort of core group of supporters were yeah, in disguise, but he got found and was captured. Okay. So he is now imprisoned. While he's in prison... Philip of France um, takes advantage of his absence, links up with Prince John mm. in England, mm. and says, why don't we come to a bit of an accord here? Philip takes various French territories, while John is looking now to take control of England. Uh, there's even an attempt uh, to arrange a marriage with John and Alice, the girl that yeah. Richard wouldn't marry, but Eleanor Aquitaine comes in at this point, stops that happening, and puts an end to it. God, I don't know. She's a powerful woman. She is, and she then, very cross that Richard, the hero of the Crusades, had been captured, so she writes to the Pope uh, demanding that he excommunicate Leopold, signing off her letter, Eleanor, by the wrath of God, Queen of England. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, he procrastinates a while, but eventually does excommunicate uh, Leopold. Nevertheless, there's a huge ransom that has to be paid in order to secure Richard's a king's release. Ransom. A king's ransom. That's probably where it actually yeah. comes from, because it's about £100,000. Not a lot now, but that's what the medieval it? period. That's probably sort of three to five years' worth of annual revenue. That's, yeah, that is shocking. Huge it? amount of money, which um, Eleanor and others have to organise. But they do manage it, they pay it off, and 16 months later, Richard is released. 16 months later? Yeah. So he's in prison, oh, maybe slightly less. It's over a year and wow. less than 18 months. So he's there for a long time in his prison cell. Mm. Anyway, he comes back to England again, has a second coronation in Winchester Cathedral, or at least another... Why? Well, it was either a second coronation or a crown wearing. The problem is he was in England so rarely that it was difficult to know if it was a significant gesture or just yeah. he happened to wear it, but they mm. hadn't seen him wearing it for quite a few years. But it was maybe a sense, like Stephen, when he'd been imprisoned... Um, in the Battle of Lincoln in 1141, this sense that his royal majesty had been slightly tarnished. Right, so he needs to reimpose it, yeah. reimpose it. Anyway, he doesn't stay in England very long, just another couple of months, because while he was away in prison, Philip obviously has been taking lots of his territory uh, in France away. Hmm. So he does what he does, raises some money in England, a couple of months later, 
back out to France. So 1194 to 1199, he spent sort of five years hard graft, getting back the territories that he'd lost. And he largely does it, actually. He pretty much gets everything back. He's much stronger militarily than Philip, as you'll see later, but it's quite hard strategic diplomatic stuff as well as the military. But by 1199, he's pretty much got it under control, and then he's probably preparing to go off on another crusade, uh, but still a little bit of stuff to deal with uh, with Philip. And then while he's inspecting uh, the castle walls, where there's a little skirmish at Castle at Chaloux in France, uh, he gets shot in the shoulder uh, by a sort of an opportunist crossbowman, apparently holding bow in one hand and a uh, yeah, hand frying in another hand, one. Yeah, yeah. And Richard was said to have been admiring the shot and congratulated him, but then didn't duck in time, wasn't wearing his armour. So he got shot in the shoulder, didn't say anything, so as not to alarm the men, trotted back to his tent, tried to pull it out, but couldn't get the arrowhead out. Doctor came in to deal didn't with it. Didn't say anything. No, apparently he just kept quiet and thought, oh, just a flesh wound. That's loot. loot. Sorry. Uh, so he goes back to his tent. Doctor hacks about to get it out. Inevitably, wound goes gangrenous. He knows what's coming. He announces, uh, declares John to be his heir to all of his territories, uh, calls his mother, Eleanor of Aquitaine, to his side, and she is with him when, at the age of about 42, he dies in 1199 quite innocuously, ultimately, for such a a... strong man. But that's the way he goes. Anyway, that's uh, the life of Richard the Lionheart. Now we come to do the reviewing. Um, Three factors where we each give a score out of ten for his prowess in battle, scandal and subjectivity, would you want to be a subject, as well as some factual points for how long he ruled for and how many children he had, which, as we've just established, isn't many. And we then decide whether he's got that um, certain special something, the star quality, um, that longevity of achievement and impact, which we call Rex Factor. Yeah, it's hard to define, and it's probably going to develop. It's going to be very important for Richard exactly how we define it. He's probably yeah. one of the key ones where, depending on how we do it, it's, it'll it's make a big tricky. difference. Yeah. Anyway, we'll come to the first factor before we okay. get to that. Okay. Battleliness. So, this is what Richard does. This is what he lives for. Apparently, from the 1170s until his death, he spends something like 23 of 25 years pretty much campaigning. He's almost... And, of course, one in a bit of those years, he's in prison. Mm. So he basically spends his whole time... He's probably practising in prison, though. Probably, yes. (laughs) Fighting the walls. Yeah, yeah. Punching it. Um, So his first major success after the failed uh, rebellion in 1173 was at a French city called uh, Teilberg. Teilberg. That's the problem with all these French yes. territories. It's not going to be a problem for long. <laughs> Struggling me. Um, he lays siege to the rebels at this uh, fortified town, which at the time was considered to be impregnable. Uh, but he lays waste to the surrounding area, brings the people out, and then just storms the castle, crushing victory, and wins huge acclaim, lots of recognition. His older brother, Henry the Elder, uh, the young king who later died, quite jealous of the attention he got from his father. So, early reputation, very mm. strong. Yeah. As we've seen on the Crusades, he has a lot of success. At Sicily, he doesn't just capture the city. He arrived on a platform on the front of a boat in his full regalia with trumpets playing so that everybody could see him, announcing himself arriving as this immense presence. That's cool. Then, of course, he rescues his sister, captures Messina. Pretty dramatic impact. I've heard about him when he was ill, which turns out one of his many illnesses... Um, at a battle, I forget where, I think it's in the Crusades, mm-hmm. 
where he was um, being carried about because he was ill, mm. but still had a crossbow and was still picking people off the um, <laughs> off the battlements. So it's just brilliant. In my mind, he's got two, one in each hand, reloading <laughs> them by spinning them like in Terminator. Yeah. Well, say so after um, Cyprus, where he captures the whole island, as we said, and then this really important stepping point between Europe and the Middle East um, was the siege at Acre. And this is where, apparently, he, as you said, he was ill. Mm. And apparently he and Philip both got some kind of disease. Apparently their hair and fingernails fell out and all sorts of oh, horrible God. things. But Richard demanded that... He thought he was dying at one stage. But once he started to get a bit better, he demanded to be put on a litter and then taken to the front line. Oh, is that... The, and this that's is the this one the, oh, direct everything. And then, you know, lots of things. He brought in sort of stone-throwing catapults. He used a tactic of something called undermining... Yeah. Which is... Well, diggy, diggy, diggy. Yeah, underneath the castle walls. Prop up your wall, your tunnel with wood, with um, sort of like scaffolding, wooden scaffolding. Mm. Put all all sorts of combustible materials, usually some pig fat, like in Rochester. Yeah. um, And set it alight, so the whole tunnel comes crumbling down with with the wall on top of it. And that's what he did, and that undermined, obviously, literally the walls, and uh, helped them get through. Where was that? Uh, that was at Acre. Oh, yeah. yeah 1191. Apparently, it's, it's fierce fighting as well. Although these aren't battles as such, besieging a castle, a crusade, is pretty yeah. hardcore. Because there's also the defenders were using Greek fire. Oh, the Byzantine um, weapon, yeah. Mm. Like, sort of napalm stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure what quite the water. technology of it. Yes, it burns on water. Yeah, they, it's very that, effective against ships, obviously, for that reason. I remember that, that some <laughs> professor a couple of years ago claimed to have rediscovered the... the um, the properties of it, the, mm. the ingredients of it. I wouldn't look that up. Mm. Um, and then also Arsouf, probably the only real open battle of the campaign uh, where they were under attack, uh, but they won another great victory. And apparently he launched some kind of uh, amphibian assault, so he sort of jumped out into the sea and they went oh, on yeah, it's by land. Uh, and again, this is significant because he then fortified Jaffa, which was good for future crusading. Mm. And then, once he's been imprisoned and come back, 1194 to 1199, he's taking on Philip in France. Mm-hmm. Now, Philip, in many ways, is quite a weak and cowardly person. He always runs off whenever Richard came anywhere near him. He didn't want to go anywhere near an open battle with Richard because basically he knew that he'd lose. But he's very wily, very strategically gifted, and he does a lot to improve France's territories and land. Apparently, he's the person who really uh, put Paris on the map, made it oh, right. France's largest walled city. So it's in this period that it really I didn't. I don't on. think I've ever seen France, Paris's walls. I didn't know it was. Oh, yes. I mean, like I London so. has gone now. No maybe. longer, yeah. Um, so, Richard showed diplomatic skills as well as military, so he relinquished uh, some of the rights and territories of Aquitaine so that he basically let them do their own thing, which meant that he could focus on uh, Philip. He also secured the marriages of his sister that he rescued Joan to the Count of Toulouse, which, again, another, period, mm. another uh, territory in France in that he's allied with. And, of course, he had his wife with the southern part in so he's got quite good links mm. that he's made there. But he also, he just, you know, he regains lost territory. It's a war of strategy and attrition, whereby he gets most of Normandy back, retook uh, Loch, which is near Touraine, as well as that uh, Tyreburg uh, city, which he takes back, and Angoulême. Ah, Angoulême. Angoulême. He also does something which you will enjoy. He builds a castle. Ah, and it's, and it's a good one. Chateau Gaillard. What have we got? Um... This was basically the love of Richard's life. Apparently he actually referred to it as his child Yeah. at some stages. Um, he built it at near uh, Les Andalis, I think. And it's kind of partly on a hill, but also 
by the sea on a river, so it's yeah, kind of going up yeah. from the river to the hill. Um, built it in just two years for the sum of about eleven and a half thousand pounds. Snip, relocation, relocation, relocation. It's, a, it's yeah. a huge amount of money at the time. He spent <laughs> about seven thousand pounds on all castles in England in his whole reign, and yeah. so he spends this amount on this one. Very much ahead of its time. Apparently, Richard was pretty much the prime architect of it as well, so it's his design. Yeah, partly that's helping to build it. There were bad omens against the site. Uh, apparently, there was a blood rain, which is where sort of red dust gets sort of linked into the water, and it looks a bit like blood. At the time, they actually thought it was blood, and it was an ill omen. But Richard, no, no, barring, uh, building on. Yeah, apparently, contemporary yeah. William of Newburgh said the king was not moved by this to slacken one whit the pace of work, in which he took such keen pleasure that, unless I am mistaken, even if an angel had descended from heaven to urge its abandonment, he would have been roundly cursed. <laughs> and he even boasted he would have held the castle by its, uh, even if it was built by walls of butter, he would still have held it. Loves his castle. Yeah, he, he's, he built um, in his sort of main hall. Um, there, oh, um, so w- right where his throne was, there's this huge, great big window, mm. so the light would shine in it and make him look even more <laughs> powerful. Mm. So I think he thinks he's got the Rex factor. I don't know whether that's going to oh, play on my mind. He's but... very much. He's not ashamed to um, yeah. sell himself. So there's one time at G Source in 1198 in France when his own report said something about how he dislodged three knights with one lance or something. So he said, we ourselves dislodged three lights with one lance. (laughs) So he's not above selling himself or promoting himself. He's also, as we said before, epitome of medieval chivalry Mm. in battle terms. This is a period obsessed with the Arthurian legend. Um, Courts um, in France, lots of the stories and romances of Arthur, of Lancelot, of Guinevere being written at the time. Eleanor of Aquitaine often seen as being an inspiration for Guinevere. Oh, right. In some of these stories. And Richard very much saw himself in this context, in the Arthurian context, and saw himself as a sort of modern-day Arthur. Yeah. Um, and indeed, while he was on his way to Sicily, when he was in Italy, this was when the Glastonbury monks um, claimed to have found the grave of Arthur and Guinevere. It's quite... That's quite recent history, though. It is, yeah. Well, Henry II, before he died, had asked them to look for it because they were quite interested. And there was this sense at the time that Arthur was a real king. And they're now getting interested and wanting to know, actually, who was he? Where is he buried? Yeah. And they said that they found them sort of 16 feet down or something, a coffin with a huge man and this woman, a cross with inscripted, here lies the graves of the great King Arthur and his second wife, Guinevere. Um, yeah, so the fact that it's discovered while he's off on the Crusades seemed very much like the old chivalric hero passing mm. on the flame to the new. Right. He even claimed when he was coming to an accord with the ruler in Sicily that um, he had the sword of Excalibur that he then gave to him as a gift. I'm not sure that it's got any link to the finding of Arthur other than that it meant that maybe the guy might believe that this random sword was, <laughs> yeah. in fact, Excalibur. Pass me my special sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, great military skills, reputation at the time as being a brilliant soldier, excellent strategist, Especially grand campaigns, which is what his father, Henry II, wasn't so good at. Mm. He knows how to keep his army going, how to keep them supplied, so that they can stay on campaign for as long as possible. Yeah, and, and how to, um, how to make them, uh, let them move securely through enemy territory. Yeah. Uh, putting vanguards and um, 
making the move along the coast and putting all the expert soldiers on the on the landward side. And, and the reason that they had the battle at Arsuf when sort of going to Jaffa was that they had to go quite slowly because he meant he made sure they had a lot of supplies, which meant they had to go a bit slower. Mm. So it meant they had more attacks, but it meant that they'd be able to keep going once they got to where they were going. I remember reading in I think it's this book God Wills It about the Crusades. Um uh, about that march down to Jaffa, mm. where they the rear guard had um, were all Templars and um, or um, you know full time expert soldiers. So they had sort of the Holy Knights. They yeah, they had um, six inch thick felt on their backs and then chainmail, and um, they were because they're being harried so much by Saladin's troops. When they stopped, they all looked like porcupines. They had, um, <laughs> they had uh, arrows in their backs. <laughs> Very cool image. Carry on going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's also renowned for his heroism. So as I said, he leads a decisive charge at Arsuf, jumping into the sea, leading his knights ashore, always led from the front, always got himself right into the thick of the action, inspiring his men. And his uh, lion heart as a supercoat was actually contemporary because oh, he was seen yeah. as having the courage of a lion. Crikey. So he's known at the time as Richard the Lionheart. And he was once said, when challenged on being quite risky, saying, I sent those men there. If they die without me, I never again be called a king. So he firmly believed he was meant to be there right at the front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, good for traditional years. chivalry stuff, he forgives um, John after the treachery. He comes to an accord with Saladin. They never actually meet, but they have a healthy respect for each other and send each other doctors when they're ill and all these sorts of things. Oh, that's nice. And also forgives, uh, or comes to an accord with, rather, a figure called uh, William Marshall, who is this sort of legendary knight, came to prominence under Henry II and rose up the ranks through the tournaments, yeah, whereby yeah. you could win a great fortune. And then he nearly killed Richard in the 1189 rebellion under Henry. But then as soon as Richard King... They come to an accord, forgives him. It's sort of good chivalrous yeah, yeah, yeah. behaviour. And he's a man to be feared, so when he was released from prison, Philip said to John, look to yourself, the devil is loosed. And John promptly ran back to France. Oh, that's the making of a film, just in that one sentence. <laughs> and uh, apparently John's uh, Castellan, this holy man of Mont Saint-Michel, was said to have died from fright when he heard that Richard had <laughs> been released. So he's a scary chap. Yeah, he does seem pretty bloody scary. However, against him for battliness... Inspiring as it is, he was reckless, put himself in danger's way without always taking due care, which ultimately led to his unnecessarily early death. Yeah, when I mean, he didn't have the armour, he wasn't taking due care. It was watching someone shoot him. I mean, if, yes. if ever there's a lesson from history, it's don't look at an arrow from 1066. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. And apparently, Saladin himself was um, one asked about Richard, said, I've long since been a before we died. Um, I've long since been aware that your king is a man of honour and very brave, but he is imprudent, indeed absurdly so, in the way he plunges into the midst of danger and his reckless indifference to his own safety. For my own part, I would like to have wisdom and moderation rather than an excessive boldness. So it's seen as being, you know, a good thing, but also yeah. a bit of a risky thing as well. Yeah, it's like when, um, it's like when you choose your Mario Kart, though. You, you yeah, can't have it all around yeah, it. You've got to put it one way or the other. <laughs> Other negatives, um, in raising his money to go away in the Crusades, one of the things he does is sells um, England's suzerainty over Scotland for um, just under £7,000. Sells it? Yeah, so he, Scotland is in effect able to buy its, um, it's, it's for, yeah. independence yeah. back again. He also gives them a couple of castles in Berwick and Roxburgh. Um, so William of Newburgh thought, thought he was dismembering his kingdom. Yeah. And well. he's even said to have been considering giving Northumberland Cumberland away as well. So he was quite ready to just... 
In order to fund the crusade. Just in order to fund the crusade, yeah. But on the other hand, he probably saw these things as temporary and he would have come back. He just, yeah, yeah. taken over. Also, we have to say, the crusade was all about capturing Jerusalem. Despite all of the successes that Richard has, that does fail. They don't take Jerusalem. Even though it was a huge ask, probably too big, he does all that he can do, but he doesn't take Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, that's undoubtedly the goal you know, not not it was the goal and it wasn't achieved, but it was a phenomenal success. All those it was, I mean, and a launching pad for future crusades. Very much so. Yeah, all the successes he had sets them up for the future. Yeah. So, how are we going to score him for battliness? This is what he is all about. I am as impressed as I am with Hen- with Henry the <clears> Second. <throat> And much like with Henry II, there was that little bit of negativity mm. with the fact that he wasn't necessarily very good at campaigning mm. and um, <laughs> lost it a bit at the end, only because even his family were against him. Yeah. Um, but right. still, phenomenal achievement. Richard, yeah. yeah um, I think it's phenomenal. I'm going the same score, which was nine. I Was it nine I gave him? Yeah, you gave him yeah, nine. I gave him nine. nine. I'm I'm also going to give him nine, which will give him a higher score than Henry II. And in fact, will be our highest. Oh no, no, not as good as William I. That was eighteen and a half, but eighteen for battliness because he's just so. I mean, he's one of the ones. If you imagine a fantasy battle, all these kings mm. in the field, he's the one that go. That he's the real king. Yeah, yeah. It's he's like um, uh, faking it. You'd pick him out straight away, yeah, instantly. Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly a powerful king. Yeah. So that's 18 out of 20 for Battliness. Good start. Scandal. A good lead-off for this in terms of structure is a quote from a sort of weak historian, Bishop Stubb, so in the 1940s or 50s or something, um, described him as a bad son, a bad husband, a selfish ruler and a vicious man. (laughs) So let's explore each of those. Bad son, obviously, he rebelled against his father on several occasions. Indeed, when he visited his father's body after he died, it was said that blood started to come out of Henry's nose the dead Henry's nose which was at the time seen as a a sign of being in the presence of your murderer which he wasn't literally that's not a scandal but figuratively speaking the rebellion sort of these wonderful coincidences in history that serve to be all his own it's really (laughs) fortunate it is or unfortunate depending on how you look at it bad husband married to Berengia but hardly ever saw her and she never came to England as queen, so England never saw this queen. Mm. Um, there was a suggestion, relatively recent, that Richard might have been homosexual. I now I remember reading this, and um, there's no. It, the, it was alleged that it was with Philip, mm. which seems strange since they were. He was terrified of him. Well, here's a quote from a contemporary, Roger of Howden, they about Richard and Philip. They ate from the same table and drank from the same cup, and at night they slept together in the same bed. And the King of France loved him as his own soul, and their mutual affection was so strong that because of the vehemence of their mutual affection, the Lord King of England was dumbfounded. I'm not sure I understand that. Well, I think the crucial phrase is, at night they slept in the same bed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the key. Yeah. Um, but then they'd go and fight each other. Well, this was before, um, this was when they allied together against Henry in the earlier... Oh, okay. When Henry II right. was still king. Yeah. And also, a hermit, who was seen to be a sort of holy, around 1195, warned Richard to be mindful of the destruction of Sodom 
and abstain from unlawful things, or else God's just retribution will overtake you. Maybe it's just a homophobic hermit and was giving some advice. <laughs> maybe. maybe. <laughs> so anyway, this has led historians to suggest that maybe, you know, he doesn't have any children with his wife. He's got these rather odd things going on. Maybe mm. he was homosexual. However... This has only been suggested by modern historians, and many would now say there isn't actually any legitimate evidence. And indeed, if we want some scandal of a sexual variety, actually, Richard has an illegitimate son. Brilliant. Uh, They've always got one or two hiding away. And Fanny was notorious for his lustful treatment of women. And indeed, a nun at Fontrevoux was declared that she would rather put out the beautiful eyes that seduced him rather than submit to his, uh, his desires. Oh. So a bit of nun action again, back to yeah, Edgar the Peaceful. Exactly. So he's got a reputation for that. So maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. There's a question mark. There's a question mark, yeah. Indeed. Selfish ruler, and that's largely a question for subjectivity. However, there is some stuff at the coronation which is rather scandalous. There are numerous ill omens. So on the one hand, it's on the 3rd of September, which was apparently an Egyptian day. Uh-oh. Which is said to be an evil day, i.e. bad luck. There were two in the month, and for some reason they scheduled it on a bad luck day. God, that's an Egyptian day. Yeah. How weird. Later, a bat flew about Westminster around the throne in the middle of the day, which was another bad omen, and uh, a peal of bells just before midnight started to ring without any agreement or knowledge of the ministers. Hmm. Worst thing, however, at the coronation was what happened to... Uh, Jewish community of England. Oh, this is terrible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the day before the coronation banquet, Richard had ordered that no women or Jews would be present, which was quite a common thing at the time. Um, but the London Jewish community decided that they'd come along anyway and bring him some gifts. However, they were set upon by a mob, viciously attacked, the houses were burnt, many were killed. There were then further atrocities in Stamford, Lincoln, Norwich and uh, Lynn, but the worst was in York, where 400 uh, Jews barricaded themselves into a castle tower... And ultimately, when it seemed that all was lost, they then committed a mass suicide. Yeah, in Clifford's Tower. Mm. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, that's a big part of the exhibition up there. Yeah. It's really good, worth a visit. Um, yeah, but obviously very very bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard, to be fair to him, was outraged, and, and he had asked the doorkeeper at his coronation banquet when he heard noise outside what all the commotion was, and the doorkeeper apparently said, "Oh, nothing, just men being men, having fun." And when he found out what was true, apparently he had the doorkeeper dragged to his death, tied by a horse. So he wasn't happy about oh, it. I didn't know that. That's... Didn't order it himself, but nevertheless, mm. not a good start. However, he was, in his own right, quite a vicious man. Had something of a cruel streak. Uh, Gervais of Canterbury said the great nobles of Aquitaine hated him because of his great cruelty. And then Roger of Howden claimed that he carried off his subjects' wives, daughters and kinswomen by force, and when he had sated his own lust, handed them down to his soldiers. Wow. Worst of all, at Acre, uh, he was said to have uh, murdered and perhaps beheaded 2,700 prisoners. Yeah, and that's absolute massacre. direct um, uh, opposite of Saladin, who mm. tended to be really um, well, chivalrous, I suppose. Yeah. And then this guy set up a, a system. Like, it, it was really systematic. So they mm. cut, cut the steps, head chopped off, body down into the pit. So it really... Yeah. Organised, ruthless, nasty, Hitler-esque. Yeah, very, very horrible. He's also, if you've seen, a rather arrogant man, so he'd fallen out with Philip and with Leopold on the crusade, which obviously led to his imprisonment, which caused him problems. Um, and he was captured because he was incapable of having a humble disguise. So apparently he gave himself away by when he sent a youth out to buy some food, he gave him a really elaborate and expensive Byzantine coin 
to buy bread with. And not only that, because it was cold, he gave him his gloves, but these were gold-embroidered gloves with Angevin lions on them. Mm. So it kind of gave the game away somewhat. When he was then captured, he refused to show Leopold any deference, so he said, I am born of a rank which recognises no superior but God. And he then later adopts the motto, Dieu et mon droit, I God and my right, which is now the modern. I, uh, I am God and I'm right? Yeah. No, God and my right. Oh, right, I, I see. God's there and I'm with God yeah. on a level. And he's the first English monarch to employ the royal we. Oh, really? So he employ, refers to himself in the uh, that is quite first good, person plural. However, he's also got quite a good sense of humour, or a mischievous sense of humour, as we're accustomed to with these kings. Um, so when he conquered Cyprus, the king asked that he wouldn't suffer the ignominy of being put in chains, in irons. Um, so Richard promptly put him in silver shackles. So he didn't put him in irons. Uh-huh. Silver. Anyway, that's what we've got on him for scandal. Um, it's quite a lot of it's nasty quite, stuff. Yeah, it is quite scandalous. Yeah. Um, not always necessarily hugely scandalous at the time. It's sort of modern. Yeah, modern takes on it, but I think that's what we've been looking at. How we have to judge him? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, the threesome probably wasn't too bad, but. Well, it was just, oh, yeah, the uh, bishop didn't like it, did he? No, it wasn't actually a threesome. We've got uh, just potentially. Oh no! I meant with the um, with Edgar the Peaceful. Oh right, yes, yeah. sorry, yes. So um, we're uh, yeah, it's pretty scandalous. There's yeah. no hiding it. Um, yeah. Lots of nasty stuff and slightly scandalous stuff. As in well. fact, it's it's pretty pretty <laughs> bad. <laughs> awful, yeah. I'm going I'm going at least seven or eight here. Yeah. Uh, can't think how it could be toppled. Actually, I'm going eight. Um, I'm going for. Oh, it's tricky because the way that we do scandals sometimes is it nasty? Is it Juicy scandal. It's is it kind a of funny scandal? Yeah, funny or yeah. just horrible? Um, I'm going to go for. I'm going for eight as well. Actually, mm. it's big. There's, there's some nasty stuff there, mm. particularly later. So that's a 16 for scandal. Another high score. Subjectivity. This is where Richard is going to struggle a little bit. He's largely seen as the absent king, as we said. Of his whole ten-year reign, he only spends six months. In England. It's not good, is it? Not good. He never bothers to learn the language, and his view of England was that it was cold and always raining. Well, I mean, that's true, but I, we love it for it. Exactly. <laughs> he puts England under a huge financial burden, so when he first became king, raising money for the Crusades, he put up all of the offices of state for sale, i.e. people had to buy their jobs back wow. in order to finance his crusade. Um, received lots of money, making men sheriffs, conceded a wide range of royal lands. 1190, apparently he raised about £31,000 against the 20000 that had been raised in 1188. So it's a huge yeah. pressure that he's putting people under. As Roger of Howden said, everything was for sale, county sheriffdoms, castles and manors. And as you alluded to earlier, Richard himself joked, I would sell London if I could find a buyer. Mm. And then... He also endows John with quite a lot of land. He gives him six English counties, which were then removed from the pipe roll, i.e. they weren't being taxed. So this leads to quite a big financial loss. So apparently they then went down to about £11,000 annual revenue while Richard was away, which is down to the levels under Stephen. Crikey. And then his ransom, as he said, £100,000, huge amount, required a special department to be set up just to organise this. Um, for about three years' worth of crown revenues and a quarter of the income, annual income, to the clergy and the nobles, all equating to about 35 tonnes of silver. It's a, a bit of satire, a bit like a today's Ooh. situation. <laughs> um, he also creates a certain amount of instability with his regency, so his new justicia, Hugh de Puisse, Bishop of Durham, clashed 
with William Longchamp, who was the new Chancellor, Bishop of Ely, mm. and proved very unpopular. As we've also said, John was given great power with six counties, which included Nottinghamshire. Mm. And so John, when he rebels and is seen as being this evil prince, of course we get the legends of Robin Hood mm. from yeah. this absent king. So Richard always in Robin Hood, he kind of comes in at the end or he goes it's, up to the always start. always a great, great chap, just in reflection yeah. of John. Uh, 1191, pretty much while he's away, pretty much virtual civil war where the deeply unpopular William Longchamp... Um, there was sort of a rebellion against him, the London Commune. Eventually he was replaced by Walter of Rouen, and Eleanor of Aquitaine and William Marshall have to intervene to stop John doing any further rebellion with Philip of France. Yeah. So they're struggling a bit. And the succession, as we said, never produces an heir. And at one point he actually named his nephew Arthur of Brittany as his heir, rather than John. Now, it was probably just circumstantial because he needed local support where he was in the Crusades, but that obviously encourages John... Yeah, to it was a bit, yeah. And indeed, the pressures placed on the nobles during the reign probably sets the scene for Magna Carta, the yeah, yeah. unhappiness with that. Yeah, ultimately, it's difficult stuff for John. However, in his defence, the absent king, but he's king of the Angevin Empire and he's on the Crusades. So he wouldn't have seen England as his one territory, it's just one part of the territories. And really, France and the Crusades are where his priorities have to be because the Crusades is a holy mission, it's where he was seen as where he should be and then once he comes back he's lost territory in France he's got to get it back yeah and England's pretty secure yeah and as I say if he hadn't been imprisoned he probably would have come back and it would all have been pretty stable and well ordered in mm. England so and he's... people would have seen him for the nasty piece of work <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah. Um, and also he does have successful diplomacy before he leaves so John wasn't able to get support in Wales or crucially Scotland thanks to the deals Richard had done mm. in terms of buying their support so they don't rebel and they help him keep order in his absence and he was aware of the difficulties in England, so that was one of his uh, bouts of depression when he heard about the rebellions. And then he sent Walter of Rouen back yeah. to take charge. So he does sort of try to do a bit from absence. And ironically, it's actually a period of some administrative success. So he chose five trustworthy ministers for the English Regency Council. Only Longchamp really proved to be a bad choice. And in particular, a person who comes in later, Hubert Walter, was Archbishop of Canterbury and Chancellor in the way that Thomas Beckett refused to do for Henry II. Richard actually oh, yeah. succeeds. He gets him all in one person. He proves, uh, proves a very good administrator, improves systematic record-keeping, raises the ransom, which in it help, itself helps improve the efficiency of the kingdom. So ironically, oh, I see what you mean. it kind yeah. of led to some improvements. And he was used to a decentralised approach in Aquitaine, so England was rich and peaceful. He didn't actually need to be there to yeah. keep control of it. Yeah, he needed to be where the fires were, which was his style. Indeed, and, to his credit, he's a man of culture. As he said, the um, court in France, famous for its chivalry and its troubadours, mm. the sort of poets and sang songs and whatnot. He's well-educated. Apparently he could joke in Latin at the expense of the Archbishop <laughs> of Canterbury. Um, he was a very curious person, so when he was in Salerno on the Crusade, he visited this experimental medic school and said to be very interested in the Arabic culture. So he's a curious man. Um, he was, himself was a composer of lyrical uh, poetry, often quite complex, um, and based in the sort of courtly love and chivalry, all that sort of thing. And indeed, he even wrote a poem while he was in uh, captivity. Well, he had long enough. Being a prisoner, indeed. And that was for a political purpose, as a lot of the stuff he was. So it was saying, oh, won't someone pay this ransom? Pay the ransom. <laughs> That's the chorus. Pay and the also, ransom. And also the... here, this leads to another one of his legends of his minstrel, Blondel who was said to have tried to find where Richard's being imprisoned. So he went around castle to castle in France, singing a song which the two of them had composed together. 
So he'd sing his lines. And then when he got to Richard's castle, of course, Richard sings the refrain. And that's how he knows so where he is. is. Brilliant. Didn't actually happen in reality, no, but of course. Nice they story. were very open about where he was. Yeah. But that's, again, his cultural leanings is what leads to that. So, that's um, subjectivity. On the one hand, he's an absent king. He isn't there. He doesn't care about England. He thinks it's rubbish. And he taxes it to death. On the other hand, it's fairly well ordered. Administration helps. And he's a man of culture. And we're only dealing with the subjects of England. I mean, if you're the subject of a Muslim subject of Asia, <laughs> yeah, oh yes, that probably wouldn't like it. Pretty dreadful. Oh, it's good, really. Um, it's not well, again, it's how you judge Do we be little Englanders and say, this is of England, not the Angevin Empire? Or do we judge it by what he was dealing with well even in France he was just getting the territory back mm. Mm. I think it's pretty standard really I don't think he does anything out of the ordinary he doesn't progress anything along mm. too much if he does it's by mistake because he's in prison oh, and someone else is doing it yeah, yeah. Uh, four yeah I'm going to give him I'm going to I'm going to be harsh I'm going to give him a three because he is king of England and he doesn't care about it except yeah. for the privileges it brings that's a seven for subjectivity bit of a step back for Richard Longevity. 1189 to 1199. Ten years. Yeah, that's pretty short. It's pretty short. In fact, it's the shortest one we've had since uh, Harold II and the Battle of Hastings. Mm. But ten years, double figures, not terrible. Dynasty. Not the programme. This is obviously where he falls down big time. He has one illegitimate son, Philip of Cognac, but otherwise no legitimate children. Error. So he doesn't have a dynasty. No succession. So that gives him a total of 51 points, which, looking like he was going to have a lot more, yeah, but obviously he's fallen yeah. away at the end there, because really he's all about the battles, and obviously with battles sometimes come atrocities, hence the scandal. There's a lot missing. Yeah, I was surprised by that. 51 compared to 90 for his dad. Rex Factor! Yeah, so we've got a tricky setup here in favour military glory reputation in an age which values this in the age of chivalry. He's a legendary figure, so he's absolutely got the star quality. We've got the legends of Arthur, which is associated with Robin Hood, Blondell, mm. as well as having the cool nickname at the time, the Lionheart. There was then subsequent story that he was called the Lionheart because when he was imprisoned, um, a lion was put into his cell to kill him. But he wrestled with it, put his hand down its throat, ripped out its heart trotted up back to the court of the man imprisoning him, threw it on the table, put some salt on it, and promptly started to eat it. <laughs> and thus, Coeur de Leon, Lionheart. Um, as well as this, he was actually legendary in, later in his own time. In Syria, apparently, his name was invoked if women uh, wanted to quieten their children. They'd say, hush, child, or the King of England will come. Yeah. So he's this sort of legendary ogre in the Muslim world, mm. as well as in England. And he's the first post-conquest king to actually become a folk hero. And be associated yeah, with these yeah, legends. Absolutely. So, and he's also the only king with a statue in Parliament Square. Yes, it's good. I just like that. Yeah, Very, and it's yes, good right. as well. On the other hand, failed in the Crusade, and he was the absent king. He wasn't there. So, there's a negative historiography as well. Bishop Stubbs said, as well as the bad king stuff, his ambition was that of a mere warrior. He would fight for anything, but he would sell everything that was worth fighting mm. for. Churchill didn't like him. He said in politics he was a child. The advantages gained for him by military genius were flung away through diplomatic ineptitude. His life was one magnificent parade, which when ended left only an empty plane. And not so illustrious one, but... That's a, good, I, like, I like that. An interesting analysis, phrase. Yeah. Caroline Bingham, that Richard, the feckless hero, was popular and that his father, the dedicated ruler, was unpopular may indicate the collective stupidity of mankind. <laughs> 
But it's how we judge him is really the issue, because as John Gilliam has argued, we shouldn't judge him by modern standards. It's ahistorical. For you know, sort of nine hundred years ago, the standards then would have seen him as a great ruler, did his Christian duty, an amazing king, a strong ruler. He was popular at the time. We shouldn't be judging him by our standards, and yet, that's all that we can do. That's what we do do. Yeah. Tricky. So, does he have the Rex factor? He's got star quality. Does he have a lasting legacy and a great achievement that he can hang his towels on? Uh, do you want to go first? Ooh, it's tricky. It's very tricky. Do you have a strong... I've got a very strong... Yes. You're saying yes. Yeah. Uh, what is your... How, how do you go for that yes? Well, because, it, as we said, if you're playing fake it, you had a whole row of kings lined up, you definitely know that was the king. Flawed, but stronger in other areas, like the campaigning. He, if, you, if you had a battlefield king, you'd mm. want him on your side. You would. But I would say, what does he actually leave behind as a legacy and achievement? What's his impact on history, other than... Cool stories and a cool name, and so that's it. Though that's pictures. all he's got. Does he have anything that actually says he deserves to be on no. the level with some of the ones that we've had before? No, but some of the worst ones leave good stuff behind, mm. which is, I mean, it is, counts in their favour still. Um, but I just, I mean, he's he is that. I think even his dad <laughs> was scared of him. Oh, well, he yeah, was brilliant, puts and he's got so scored higher. Yeah. He's he's he is if there is a king with his sword aloft, he's doing it in Parliament <laughs> in Square. In the statue, he does have yeah. his sword aloft, as yeah, if he knew. That's definition. <laughs> maybe as a child you saw that, and from then yeah, on, maybe that's it. that was your definition. Yeah. It's hard. There's so many levels where I sort of feel like, in somehow, he doesn't deserve it because he's he doesn't mm. have he doesn't win the Crusades ultimately. He doesn't get Jerusalem by being away and by getting captured through his kind of his own fault. England suffers a bit, his territories have to be recaptured, so actually his successes in a way are just to get mm. back to where he started. Mm. And then he isn't very nice, he doesn't do a no, lot he's not of very kingdom. Nice. No, no. He's not really a great king of England. No. Mm. Tricky. It is tricky. tricky. I'm going yes, I'm still on yes. Oh. Can, can I say no to Richard the Lionheart? He's a legendary Just, figure. Can you imagine the scorn you'll get? Imagine the scorn. I think I do have to say yes, because if Rex Factor at its heart has anything, we have all these categories which allow us to recognise the kings who didn't succeed to in terms of being remembered well by history, mm. as well as maybe they should have been, and we recognise them. But also we've got to have somewhere for that the people that have the yeah. star quality. And he doesn't have the great achievements of an Alfred or of a Canute or of a William mm. Conqueror, but he does have the star quality. So that's got to be a yes. So there we are. Well done to Richard Way. the Lionheart. A little, little bit reluctant on my part, but yeah. you've joined all of those great people. You undoubtedly have the star quality that needs to be there. Have the that's right. So what, who's next? John. Next is King John, bad King John, his younger brother. We'll see you then. We will see you then. Cheerio.